Welcome to the New Life Podcast. Here we want you to experience the grace of God. So through this sermon, we hope to come alongside you as you grow in your relationship with Jesus. To learn more about New Life, please visit our website at newlifeonline.org. Here's today's message. Well, we just got done celebrating Christmas. I hope the holiday was an enjoyable one for you, for your family. And, uh, we, you know, we, we celebrate Christmas. Jesus comes, he, he shows up in that manger, and, and we, we, we celebrate this moment that, that our Savior has arrived. He has come. But today, I want to I kind of do a bonus week, if you will, on the Christmas series that we just went through. And, and I would love to just pause on that for a moment, that the fact that Jesus came. He came. But what does that mean? What, what, is, what is this thing that we're really celebrating? Because like we, we look forward to his coming and he arrives. Like, but then what does that mean? There's a word for this. You know, it's a theology word. It's the word incarnation. That's what we're talking about. Like Jesus comes, he shows up, this is the incarnation. Today, I want to open that up. I want to I explore what, what is the incarnation and, and what does it have to do with us or, or what difference does it make today? Like we might be able to kind of figure out like, okay, yeah, he's the savior and, and he's come, but like what does that mean for everyday life? So I want to I tackle those two questions today. So we're going to actually lean a little into theology, uh, a little bit more than we usually do, but I promise like, we're not going to make it too heady or anything like that. We're going to make this real. And the fact that kids are in the room, we're actually going to make this a little shorter. So if you've been waiting for this Sunday for like, hey, the 20-minute message, here it is, right? You know, we're, we're going to go a little shorter today. But I hope that it is rich and meaningful for us to explore what is this idea of the incarnation all about. So we're going to answer these two questions. What is the incarnation, and what difference does it make for my life today? So I invite you, if you would, turn to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2, we're going to be looking at the first 11 verses. This is one of my favorite texts in the Bible. I love this passage. So the book of Philippians is kind of in the back portion of your Bible. Like, kind of look at it here. There's a, a series of letters. Philippians is the one we're going to look at. We're going to look at chapter 2. So if you're there, follow along with me, beginning at verse 1. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, 
in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's the beauty of Philippians chapter 2. So what I want to do is I want to I look at this text as it points to this coming of Jesus. What does all of that mean? So to do that, I want to real quick remind you of two other verses. Maybe you've read this before. But in John chapter 1, John begins his whole gospel, his, his testimony of who Jesus is and what he's all about. He begins it this way in verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And he's using this image, this language of the word, to refer to the second person of the Trinity, Jesus. And then he says in verse 14, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. You see, this word, this person was God, preexistent, always there. And what did he do? He became flesh. So if you want to know what the incarnation is, here is my basic definition. Jesus is fully God and fully human. There it is. That is a a dense statement, but here is the theology. Jesus is fully God and fully human. Now, what does that mean or not mean? What that doesn't mean, let me real quick tell you, he's not like half and half. It's not like he's partially God and partially human. It's not that. He's not just kind of a mixture of halfway. No, he is fully God and fully human. He's also not just like God in the shell of a body. It's not like God took this, this thing and kind of dumped himself into it. Like, no, he's actually a human being. He, he has our full nature. He's just like us, not just God in a shell. It's not it either. He's also not just a human being who kind of took on a greater status, like elevated up to the you know, divine. Like, no, like he was God before and he became human. And he's fully God and fully human. And nor is it just a setting aside of like some part of him, like, okay, he was divine, but then he kind of cuts out that part, you know, or something like that. No, Jesus is fully God, fully human at the same time right now. There's your theology. Like that's what the incarnation is all about. But that's kind of up here, right? Like we're, we're talking in this up abstract kind of level. What does it actually look like, like in real time, in realness? Well, that's where Philippians really comes to help us. So come back to Philippians chapter two. I want to look at verses six through eight, just a little bit more in depth. So kind of focus in with me there. So verse six, who being in the very nature God, with God, he's like, he is God, he's fully God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. You see, what this is pointing to is he's fully God, but he's not using that as a way to overshadow other people. He's not something like, well, I'm God, so I get, I get my way. Like, no, what does he do? He kind of sets aside his divine prerogatives. He's not setting aside who he is. He's still God. But he says, like, all the status, all of the um, advantages, all of the things that I get because I'm God, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to pour that out for other people. Because what does verse 7 say? Keep reading. Rather, he made himself nothing. That phrase there, and he made himself nothing, is, is the Greek word kenosis, and it's self 
emptying. It's that picture of taking a glass and you pour it out. That is what he's doing. He's like, I'm going to take who I am. I'm going to pour it out for you. See, I'm God. I get to sit on the throne. I get to say how things go. And you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to say, for your sake, I'm going to pour myself out. I'm going to limit myself. I'm going to, I'm going to take everything that I am and I'm going to come to be with you. Because that's what it says next. He pours himself out to become like a servant. He becomes like us. Like he's up here and what does he do? He comes down. Now, that's not to diminish humanity either, but he comes as a poor little baby lying in a manger. See, he takes all of his divine prerogative and says, I'm not going to leverage that for myself, but I'm going to lay it down for you. I'm going to lay it down for you. And I think that's what this picture you see in Philippians 2 is, is that Jesus pours himself out for the sake of other people. And he does that by taking on humanity. He becomes human just like us. And here's one more theological point. He needed to do that. Why? Because we as humanity, we're broken, we're sinful, we're stuck, we're dead, humanity itself needed to be redeemed. And so that's what Jesus does. He takes it on and redeems it. He saves us as a human being, just like us. And that is the beauty of the incarnation. Jesus coming, taking on humanity, becoming one of us to save us, to provide salvation, provide the way forward that is what he came to do. But it doesn't just kind of stay up here, or it doesn't just stay like distant, like, okay, that's nice, and, and I can understand the general idea of that. Like, what, what Jesus is doing is he's making something real, and we're going to get to that in just a second. But notice how the rest of the text goes on. Verses 9 through 11, like we won't dive too deep in this theology here, but what he's basically saying is that God looks at this and says, that is the way things are supposed to go, and I'm going to vindicate that. So he exalts Jesus. He gives him the name that is above every name. Like, now it's the way Jesus is. That's the way things are supposed to be. And he honors that, and he exalts that. It's the way of pouring yourself out. Incarnation. Coming to be with us. Emmanuel, God with us. He is actually with us. And he did this to save us. That is what the incarnation is. Jesus is fully God, fully human. But what difference does that make right now? Like, yes, we are saved. And you can, you can get there, right? Like, it's about salvation. But it actually is more than just that. It's more than just the fact that he came to be like us, to be with us. He, he's doing something else beyond just general salvation. What is the difference that it makes right now? I want to jump back to the first part of Philippians 2, verses 1 through 4. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, united with Christ, we are now connected, we're aligned, we are united with him. It's not just like, oh, okay, we're kind of like over here. No, we're, we belong together. 
if there's uniting with Christ, if we are connected to his love, we, we have common sharing in the spirit, we, we have tenderness and compassion, if we have all of these things, then what does he say? Verse 2. Make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Notice the language there. It's all of uniting, unity. What Paul is pushing the Philippians to and what he's pushing us to is being like Jesus. See, he, he came to save us. He came to save us from our sins. He came to save us from the brokenness and the evil of this world. And he came to save us from something, yes. But he also came to save us to something. And it's not just heaven. It's not like when I die, I get to be in a good place. Like, no. He came to change the world now. He wants life to be different. He wants the world to look different. And what is that? It's the pattern of Jesus. And so what does Paul say? Be like him. Be one with him. Have the same kind of love. And here's what that looks like. So verse 3, let's keep reading. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. See, what Paul is taking here is this story, this narrative he's already given us in, in verses 5 and following. He's saying, like, what that's all about, it's about thinking about other people first. It's about putting their interests and in need above your own. It's about being others-centered. He says that's what Jesus came to do. He came to be others-centered. He came to show us what that looks like. And then he came to save us to do that very thing. And the incarnation is where that happens. Jesus himself, who was up here, came down. He poured himself out. He emptied himself to be with us, to be like us, to be connected to us, and to help us be like him to be other-centered. That's what this text is pointing us to. And, and that's where Paul, like he's crafting this beautiful language to say, like, think about other people first. In humility, consider others better than yourself. That doesn't mean like, oh, I'm going to minimize myself. I think what he's saying is elevate other people. Like, begin to think about them more, not think about yourself less. He's like, I want you to begin to think about others and that phrase, he's like, you know, avoid selfish ambition or vain conceit. That phrase, vain conceit, is empty glory. And it's, it's a fun little wordplay there, like empty glory. Well, then Jesus comes and empties himself. Where's the emptiness? The emptiness should be the benefit of other people. That's what Paul's pointing to. So what does this actually look like? Well, if we're to be other-centered, I, I think... Um, there's three components that we see, and these are not the only three, but the three that are most prominent in this text. And so these are the three things that I want us to camp on just a little bit when we talk about being other-centered. It's presence, it's humility, and it's generosity. So what is it that Jesus came to do? He came to be with us. 
He didn't look at his divine nature, as divine status, as something to be used to his own advantage. But what does he do? He himself comes down to be with us. We're to do the same thing. We're to be present for one another. We're to be present with one another. We're to have presence. In our culture today, I mean, it's so easy to be captured by our phones, right? I mean, you sit on a bus or a train or you're just kind of walking around like people are all like this. Presence is rapidly evaporating. The call for us is to put our phones away and, and to be aware. And, and sometimes we can do that, but sometimes we'll, we'll just see certain people, the people that we want to see. Can we see the people that nobody else wants to see? Can we be present for the least of these? The person on the corner who people just kind of want to avoid, like, can we turn our eyes and see? Can we give our, our attention and our time Can we give people value with our eyes and our words? His presence is exactly what Jesus came to bring. Emmanuel, God with us. We were alienated from God, and he bridged the gap. We're to do that too. We're to be present for and with one another. Number two, we're to be humble. Notice again, like Jesus is not using his status, his privilege to his own advantage, but he's like, I'm going to pour that out for you. And he humbled himself. So often we are thinking about ourselves. Like the human nature is to, to kind of stay here. But Jesus is wanting to say, like, no, no, no. Begin, humility begins us to move towards the other to see other people, to connect with them, to value their interests more than our own. Humility is thinking about ourselves less and thinking about other people more. This is what Jesus came to do, and it's captured right in the text. He humbled himself. He emptied out his prerogatives, and he said, I'm going to leverage it for other people. Humility. Can we take that same sort of posture? Can we be humble? Not assume we're always right or we've got it all or it's all about us, but rather begin to think about other people. Humility. Number three, generosity. Jesus takes all of these things. He comes with us. He humbles himself for what purpose? To give to us. He gave his life. He died. He became obedient to death, even death on the cross. He gave. He gave his life for us. We are to be people of radical generosity. You know, the early church, when, uh, when they first started to show up in these Roman cities, that people noticed there was something different about them in primarily two ways, the way they treated their bodies and their money. And I think there's a lot of echoes today, too, that people today and, and back then were very promiscuous with their bodies, but very stingy with their money. And what I saw with the early believers was they were very stingy with their bodies and very promiscuous with their money. They were very free. like They, they didn't keep to themselves, but they gave generously. Jesus gave generously. We're to do the same thing. 
We're, we're to share all that we have. And, and yes, share money, but share your possessions, share your time. Sometimes it's really easy actually to write a check to something, but, but can we give of ourselves? Can we pour out ourselves? Can we give of all that we are, all that we have for the sake of another? Can we be generous with all that we have? This is part of what the incarnation is all about. Jesus came so that he could give. Give himself, give his life for our benefit. Where can you be generous? Where can you be generous with your time, with your attention? Where can you be generous with the stuff that you have? Your home, your, your car, your, your clothing. Your, like where, where can you be like generous in, in lending out or, or helping provide a need? Like What does that look like? How can you leverage what you have for the sake of other people? That's what Jesus came to do. So these three things, these three elements, you see in, in Philippians 2, they're not the only three elements of the incarnation. It's not the only ways that we can apply it, but like here are very real, tangible kinds of things. This is what Jesus did for us. He was present. He was humble. He was generous towards us. He wants us to do the same. And he has saved us to do this. So bottom line for today, what, what the incarnation points us to is this, that Jesus' incarnation moves us to be other-centered. How can you begin to embody that this week? It's a new year. We often have resolutions. We, you know, we decide, like, okay, I'm going to go after these kinds of things. I'm going to start working out, eating better. Like, we, we make resolutions. We want to refresh the year moving forward. How can we do that for the benefit of other people? See, the incarnation, it's all about others. How can we be all about others in this time? So, that's Jesus' call. He came to save us to be like him. How can we do that this year? Would you join me in a word of prayer? God, thank you that you have demonstrated for us what the incarnation is all about, what it looks like, but what difference it makes. God, you are so generous to us. You have given of your life. You have given of yourself for our sake. You were humble. You emptied yourself. You poured out all that you had for our benefit. And you do so to be present with us, to be near us, to be in relationship, to be connected with us. God, we are grateful that you are Emmanuel, God with us. Would we be like that to other people? You didn't merely save us to go to heaven, to have a comfortable eternity with you, but you came to change us and change us here and now. Would we embody who you are with those around us? God, show us how we can do that this week and in this new year. Would many of our resolutions be oriented to other people? Help us to do that, God. Because it's for your glory. And this is the way you're making things to move towards. 
We love you, Lord. We trust you. We align ourselves to you afresh. It's in Jesus' name that we pray.